Well, good morning, everyone. Let's turn to God's Word, and, and we are going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 10. As you're turning there, I, I just want to inform you that we're beginning this morning a four-part Christmas series called I Have Come. Uh, this will be delivered these next three Sundays and on Christmas Eve as well. The, the aim of this series is to grasp the meaning of Christmas, the meaning of the incarnation through the words of our Lord Jesus himself. We find, we find in Scripture a number of statements that, that define Christmas in Jesus' own words. He tells us why he came or he tells us why he was sent. And I think it would be of value to us to, to hear from him as to the meaning of this wonderful event. And so this morning... We're going to see that he came to be a sacrifice. Next Sunday, he came, he was sent to proclaim liberty. Christmas Eve, we'll see that he came to seek and save the lost. And then the Sunday after Christmas, he came to give us life abundant in his grace. Hebrews chapter 10 teaches us that he came to be a sacrifice. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 down through verse 18. This is God's wonderful word to us. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, referring to the sacrifices of the Old Testament, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, that's Christmas. It's the incarnation. When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made his footstool, a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. 
And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Heavenly Father, may your word speak to us this morning. May we hear of Christ in ways perhaps we have not heard of him before. May we feel affection for him and love for him and gratitude to him, surpassing any we have known. We ask for your glory. Amen. I was, I was tempted this morning to have us play a game of family feud together, and the category for this was going to be, name the five biggest causes of Christmas guilt. All right, your brain is already functioning, your conscience, your conscience is already active here. What The five biggest causes of Christmas guilt. Now, let's, let's, let's go with this. Uh, Let's make it non-Christian Christmas guilt. We as Christians have our own set of conscience issues when it comes to these things. But we'll just talk as non-Christians. If you were to poll a hundred non-Christians and ask them what the five greatest causes of Christmas guilt are in their lives, what would be the answers? All right, I'm hearing them. Overeating. Overspending, overdrinking, underspending. Yeah, yeah. Uh, forgetting a present for somebody. Not making it home for the holidays. The mom and dad guilt thing. Right. Spending too much money, not spending enough money. Forgetting to get someone a gift, not spending enough time with dad and mom, eating too much, drinking too much. It, it's a, an actual inescapable reality, folks, that no matter how hard we try to be good, and no matter how hard we try to suppress guilt and deny shame, we are haunted by both of them. They live with us, especially in the immediate afterwards when feeling stuffed with too much food or broken because, broke because of too much spending or just flat out guilty because mom and dad are dropping such big hints. We experience guilt. Now, we as human beings tend to feel guilt over lesser things. We ate too much. And not nearly enough guilt over the big things of life, the great things of life, but we still experience guilt. And you know why? Because we are guilty. Do you ever, do you ever wonder why it is that you feel bad when you do something bad? Because you did something bad. You're not supposed to do that. But you did. We are guilty. Guilty. Sometimes our guilt is misplaced. 
Sometimes we do feel guilty over things we don't need to feel guilty of. But there's plenty of actual real guilt to go around in each one of our lives. That is why Jesus came. That is the point of Christmas. Here's what it's all about. Here is the significance of the baby in Bethlehem. Here is the significance of the Christ child. Here is what that silent and holy night is all about. This is the unsanitized, unsentimentalized version of Christmas. The birth of Christ, the birth of Jesus, hear this, the birth of Jesus provided a sacrifice to atone for our sins and bring us to God. This is what Christmas is about. The birth of Jesus provided a sacrifice to atone for our sins and to bring us to God. I find my heart filling. I find my tears filling my eyes even as I say what I just said. The point of Christmas The birth of Jesus provided a sacrifice to atone for your sins and mine and to bring us safely and securely and eternally to God. Let me me help you see that under three headings this morning. Why Jesus had to come, how he had to come, and then what his coming did. So, why Jesus had to come, how he had to come, and what his coming did. We begin with why he had to come. Look at verses 3 and 4. Keep your Bibles open. It will help you to follow along. The writer of Hebrews says, But in these sacrifices, that is the sacrifices of the Old Testament, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. See, here's the problem. We are guilty. We are sinners before God. And we can try to offer any kind of offering and sacrifice that we can conceive of, but our sacrifices are never enough. They are never sufficient. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away human sins. It's not that we haven't tried this. The history of the world is testimony to the fact that people, all the way back to the dawn of time, people have tried to approach God with gifts and sacrifices to try to appease Him, to try to take away His wrath. Call it a peace offering, call it an atonement, call it a propitiatory sacrifice. The end result is the same. We're trying to give God something that will make Him less mad at us. And make him love us. And, and you know what? There's, this makes sense. It doesn't make sense to know that you're a sinner and that God is holy and to not be worried about a sacrifice. The world tries to tell us in our so-called enlightened age that the idea that a God has to be appeased is, is somehow primitive. It's somehow archaic. Folks, what are we thinking? We are sinners. He is holy. 
We're going to stand before him someday. Do you, do you dare to think that somehow you can stand there clothed in your own sins without some kind of appeasement, some kind of sacrifice to satisfy him? That's not enlightenment, that's folly. That just reveals that we have very little sense of more, what is truly moral and right and good. Now, we've been, we've been trying to do this. The problem is, though, that when we offer the blood of bulls and goats like they did in the Old Testament or offer anything else, when we offer these, well, they really don't atone for our sins. The bull didn't do anything wrong. The goat is innocent. Did you realize that? The goat is holier than you are. Never once disobeyed a commandment of God. The warthog is more holy than you are and me. They've always been perfectly obedient to their creator. Have you? We're more guilty than they are. The blood of a bull, the, the blood of a goat cannot take away the guilt of my sin. Why did Jesus have to come? Well, because animal sacrifices can't atone for human sins. Jesus had to come because there was no other way for a sacrifice to be offered. Jesus had to come because we're guilty. Now, you're... Again, I'm very aware as, as we talk on these things that people in our day have very few categories for things like, I mean, we feel guilt, but we deny it just about as quickly as we feel it. And then we redefine it. And, and so, like I said, the idea that there needs to be a sacrifice for guilt uh, and for sin just is alien to our times. But uh, part of the problem there is that we, we tend to trivialize our sins, right? We tend to think of them as, uh, that, that was a mistake, that was a weakness, that was a flaw, you know. But the reality is that when you really stop to think about the things that we do and why we do them, then our sense of guilt increases. You know, so, if, you know, just think of categories like this when it comes to our guilt, when it comes to our sin. Think of premeditation. How many of you have ever planned to sin? Didn't surprise you. It wasn't just a surprise temptation. Oops, fell into that. No, you sat back and you thought, how am I going to sin? How am I going to lust? How am I going to overeat? When am I going to get my chance to sneak that piece of pie or to get even with that person? Sin is not a mistake or an accident. It's a plan very often. Or think of the category of pleasure. Why, why do we sin? Because we like it. It pleases us. I remember talking to a man years ago who was uh, flirting and, and pursuing a woman who was not his wife. And I confronted him on it and pleaded with him to change. And his comment to me was, the pleasure is in the chase. It's in the chase. It, it feels good, doesn't it, to do things we're not supposed to do. Folks, that's, that's not good. How many times have we sinned just because we enjoyed it? 
Well, then there's the category of betrayal. How many, how many people in your life have you betrayed or turned your back on or neglected or forsaken? A spouse, a child, a parent, a best friend. Or Then there's cowardice, those times when we sin because we're just afraid to do the right thing. More afraid of people than we are of God. Or then there's just our, our fundamental indifference to God. Do you, do you realize... Many of you would know, what's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God. How? With all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. I ask you, have you ever done that for even one second in your life? I haven't. Never with all my heart. Never with all my soul. Never with all my mind or with all my strength. That means, thinking about it, That means that I've been sinning every second of my life. I'm always sinning by failing to love God the way I should. Folks, we are guilty. We are guilty. And the point of the gospel is not to leave us there, but you can't get to the good news. You can't really enjoy Christmas for what it was meant to be. You can't You can't delight in Jesus Christ unless, first of all, you feel and own the guilt. You're never going to see your need for a Savior unless you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner. We must see this. And Jesus had to come because we are guilty and because because nothing we can offer to Him is enough to atone for. So, why he had to come, guilty sinners who need a sacrifice. How he had to come. Look at verses 4 and 5 and see the contrast here. And this is, oh Lord, give grace for us to see this. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently. That means because of this. Because of what? Because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. Verse 10, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. How did he have to come? He had to come in a body. What does that mean? He had to come as a fully human being. He had to come with a human body so that he could die as a sacrifice. Without a body, he could not have died. But he had to come in a human body because he had to die for human sins. Let's slow down here. Let's, let's think about this. Let's, let's notice two things that the book of Hebrews 
emphasizes. The first one is that Jesus is God. If you just flip back to chapter 1, I want you to, I want you to see that Jesus was and is fully God. In verse 8 of chapter 1, the Father says to the Son, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, this is the Father talking to his Son. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same and your years will have no end. Here is the, one of the clearest declarations of many in Scripture of the deity of Jesus Christ, the Godhood of Jesus Christ. He is God who is the creator of everything. He laid the foundations of the earth. He is unchanging and unchangeable. He is co-equal, co-eternal with God the Father and with God the Holy Spirit. He existed forever throughout all of eternity before creation as at the Father's side, in fellowship with the Father, communion with the Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, delighting in Himself. Delighting in Himself. With no body, just being. Just being. Then we read in Hebrews that that son came into the world and was given a body prepared for him. Eternal God made human. Uh, there's mystery here I can't even begin to fathom. Some of the mysteries of Scripture are not meant to be understood. They are meant to be believed. And they are meant to be bowed before. So that we worship the God who is full of mystery and marvel and wonder. I don't understand the mysteries of this. But they are true nonetheless. Jesus had to be human to be an offering for human sin. But Jesus also had to be God. To be an offering of infinite sufficient worth and value to atone for all the human sins of all his people throughout all of time. No mere creature would be of adequate worth and value to atone for all the sins in this room. Never mind the universe throughout all of history. So what does this mean? What does this mean about the baby in Bethlehem? What does this mean about a little infant in the cradle? What does it mean about the Christ child? As you, as you picture the scene and you think about those Little fingers and toes and feet and hands and tousled hair and the chubby cheeks and the little whimpers and the cries. 
is in me. That was a body prepared to die. He was given that body so that in that body he would grow up into manhood, a perfect man, an unblemished man, a blameless man, a sinless man, so that in that body that once lay in a manger, he could bear the sins of his people on the cross. That's what this is about. The sacrifices of blood and bulls cannot take away sin. The, the body and blood of animals can't deal with the problem of human sin. So, Father, Jesus says, you've prepared a body for me. Hear it, folks. Hear it. The Son of God says, Father, give me a body that I as your eternal Son can dwell in. In Him the fullness of Godhead dwells. Give me a body that I can live in, that can be my body, and I will offer that body. Jesus came to die. That is the essence of Christmas. If, if we... Think of Christmas without Good Friday, we are missing the whole point. If we think of the incarnation without propitiation or the taking away of sin and wrath, we are missing the point. You cannot separate Christmas from Good Friday or from Easter. They all belong together. Christmas is, in one sense, the greatest miracle of all because God became man. Who can fathom that? Who can describe that? Who can express that? But truth it is, God became man so that as man, as God, as the God-man, he might die a perfect sacrifice of infinite value for the sins, the infinite sins of all of his people. Why did he have to come? Uh, because animal sacrifices didn't get it done. How did he have to come? As God in a body. Now what did his coming do? Let's look at the text. Look at verse 10. His coming sanctified us. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. By God's will, what was that will? To provide a sacrifice for human sins that humans could never provide for themselves. By becoming one of us and dying for us, by that will, we have been sanctified. What does that mean? That means we have been considered holy in the sight of God, guilty though we are, Dirty though we are, full of shame as we are, we are considered holy. We are set apart as holy to God. He looks at us as if we've never sinned. He looks at us as if we are clean. We are spotless. We are blameless. As blameless as Jesus is. 
His blamelessness washes over us. And we're sanctified. In verse 14, it perfected us. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That word perfected means he has completed us. He has given us everything we need to know God and love God and be right with God. We have it all because of this sacrifice. He purchased it all. He bought it all for us. This sacrifice sanctified us. It perfects us. It also provides for us the one and the once for all time sacrifice that we need. Look at verses 10 through 12 again. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest, talking about in the Old Testament, stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. What the text is telling us is that Jesus did in one offering what the thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of sacrifices in the Old Testament and that have been offered across the planet in the last however old the world is. He did in one sacrifice what none of them could do and all of them together once for all, once for all, once for all. You see, Christianity is not a religion that somehow or other is beyond or suggests that we don't need a sacrifice or that, that somehow or other is primitive and, and uh, barbaric. Now, we need a sacrifice. Christianity is just a fulfillment of that need. Christianity just says to us, Jesus says to us, I've given the sacrifice you need. You don't need any other sacrifices. Oh, we live in a time again where these things are just so alien. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. At Christmas time, we who are evangelical Protestants um, may not be fully aware of a little bit of irony. Um, the word Christmas is actually a shortened version of what? Christ Mass. And in its origin, probably more of a Roman Catholic term, not anymore that, but in its origin, Christ Mass. What happened in the Mass? What happens in a Catholic Mass? In a Catholic Mass, there in the Holy Communion, there is what they describe as the representing of the sacrifice of Christ. You may or may not know that Catholics believe that the cup and the, the, the fruit of the vine and the bread actually turn into the blood and actual body of Jesus so that there's a representing of his death, of his sacrifice for our sins. You know, there's a part of that that I deeply and profoundly admire. And it's this, that our Catholic friends take sin seriously. 
And they realize that there's a need for sacrifice. They understand. They understand that unholy people cannot just approach a holy God without offering Him something. But where I differ, where we stand is this. It only had to happen once. Once and for all. In Holy Communion, we are not representing the sacrifice of Christ. We are remembering the sacrifice of Christ. But He sat down, folks. He said, it's finished. It's finished. So I, I admire the heart and the spirit that say, we need a sacrifice, but let's, let's not stay there. Let's realize it's been done. It's complete. We have a once-for-all sacrifice for all of our sins. It is sufficient. It is enough. It is so enough that it never has to be done again. Once and for all. Once and for all. Let's keep in mind, we do need a sacrifice. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. Because we recognize that it's sheer audacity and folly to pray without being covered by Jesus. To try to approach God in worship or prayer, in our own goodness or merit, without the sacrifice of Christ is, is, is nigh unto blasphemy. How dare we? Uh, but we come in Jesus' name. We come covered by the sacrifice of Christ. We come washed, clean, sanctified, and perfected because of what he has done for us. And so, what did Jesus' coming do? What did it accomplish? It sanctified us. It perfected us. It provided a once-for-all sacrifice for us. And then I close with this. It secured our permanent forgiveness. It secured our permanent Forgiveness. Look again, verse 14. For by a single offering. Oh, I just love it. By a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness for us, uh, to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds... I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. Permanent, eternal forgiveness was purchased through the sacrifice of Christ. God, who in one sense never forgets anything, and knows everything. He knows every sin you and I have ever committed. He will always know every sin that you and I have committed, but he does not remember it against us. He doesn't hold it against us. He doesn't count us guilty of it. He doesn't hold it over our heads. He remembers it no more. He does not allow it to come between him and us. So what are the sins you're remembering? What is the guilt? What is the shame that you just cannot seem to shake or wash away? What is it? 
Is it, is it lust or betrayal or the abuse of a parent or of a child or of a spouse? Is it, is it an abortion you had or theft you committed or angry outburst, outburst against someone who really had done you no wrong? Are you a man, a woman, a young person here this morning who knows what it is to feel everyday shame and everyday guilt over one thing or another or many things? And are you tempted to punish yourself and hang your head and go into hiding? Well, I have the privilege this morning to declare to you that if you trust in Christ, he will remember your sins no more. You have the freedom because of Christmas, Good Friday, and Easter. You have the freedom to walk boldly and confidently before God. You have the freedom to look at your guilt and look at your shame and say to them, you have no more claim on me. The burden for those, the punishment for those, the grief for those, the stripes for those were born by another in my place. You can't touch me because Jesus bore it all for me. What a great Savior we have. This is, this is, this is Christianity right here. This is, this is the, the heart of it. This is the soul of it. It's not morals and Ten Commandments and this and that. All those things are important. It's not going to church and praying and giving an offering and all that. All those things are important. But this is what matters most. That we realize Jesus had to come. And he had to come as the God-man in a body to be a sacrifice for our sins. And if we repent of our sins, and trust in Him as our Savior. We are washed clean and forgiven forever. So how should we live? Let me just read, beginning in verse 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, therefore, brothers, in light of everything we've just heard, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So how should we... How should we live in the light of this? Bold assurance of faith. Let us draw near. We have the sacrifice we need. Once for all offered for us. God cannot refuse us. Because he already accepted the sacrifice in our place. 
Let's walk boldly. When we sin, let's get up. Let's confess it. Let's repent of it. Let's move on. When we fail, let's get up and let's hold fast. Let's keep going because we are in Christ and His blood washes over us. And let us encourage each other with these things. For in your community groups, in your families, in the places you hang, you're going to meet with Christians, with believers who are filled with guilt and shame and sorrow and pain. The writer says, encourage one another with these words, with these truths. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Because sin goes on, our sin and everybody else's. And our boldness and our confidence can diminish, can weaken. We need each other in fellowship, in the church. We need each other to keep each other in full assurance of faith in Jesus Christ. May it be, O oh Lord, that as we now remember Jesus in the communion meal, that we will do so amazed, humbled, grateful. O oh Lord Jesus, that you would leave your Father's side, the throne of heaven, to occupy a manger in a human body so that you could carry a cross and on that cross be impaled and bleed out and die for us. It's almost more than our hearts can and minds can fathom. And yet here we stand, full assurance of faith. Jesus has done this for us. Oh Lord, we worship you now. We Thank you now in the communion meal. Bless us. Strengthen and nourish our hearts as we partake by faith in Jesus. Amen. Going to ask the ushers if they would please distribute the bread and the cup at this time. And as they do, we are going to sing together to rejoice in this one who has loved us so much. Let's stand. Let's use these words to center us our hearts as we receive the Lord's Supper together. <clears throat> Once.